Well, if that music doesn't wake you up, nothing will. <laughs> Maybe an atomic bomb going off outside your window. All right, welcome everybody, Pastor Eli James and Dan from Georgia. We're going to be discussing Deuteronomy chapter 13 and however far we get in Deuteronomy today. So how are you doing this morning, Dan? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, the world is not doing very well. <laughs> no, it's not. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah, we've got fake news everywhere, uh, wars and rumors of wars, right? Mm-hmm. And even those wars are fake, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We've got this fake uh, pan-plandemic, scamdemic around the world, and everybody's living in fear. That's what. That's That's the way the world is right now. Everybody's well, you know, living. we were talking before the show started about how, at the very top, all these governments are on the same team. Right. You know, it's all orchestrated. Yeah, it's all orchestrated. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and even uh, well, we'll be talking about it more tomorrow on the uh, Bloodline show. Uh, the, uh, the the fact that Putin, uh, you know, Putin has been photographed wearing a yarmulke. And uh, associating with Kabad Lubavitchers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, what I think uh, in terms of what's going on, the so-called Russian-Ukrainian uh, fiasco, is just uh, they kill more white people. <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. like our civil war. That's all our civil war accomplished. The Rothschilds were behind that. And by the way, I finally found after several years of uh, having misplaced it, Father Charles Coglin's report on how the Rothschilds orchestrated the American Civil War. So I think that I'll make that part of tonight's uh, Restoration Hour. Very, very important document. Of course, Father Coughlin was a Catholic priest who had a, a radio show every Sunday uh, in the 1930s, and the, the Jews finally had him you know, force the Catholic Church to remove him from the air. That's how he was irritating international Jewry. So I'm going to be reading from that document tonight as well, all right? So uh, we're, we're going to have, uh, plus, uh, for those people just joining us, uh, I'll also be, uh, be doing a tribute to Richard Kelly Hoskins, uh, the author of uh, Vigilantes of Christendom and many other books like The Wolves and the Sheep and Our Nordic Race, etc., a very prolific author, well-known in identity circles, although the last 20 years or so, because he was up there in age, uh, and because the uh, backlash that he received from the Timothy McVeigh, the, the ADL had placed a copy of one of his books in the back seat of Timothy McVeigh's car, and that got him so much negative publicity, even his friends and neighbors <laughs> turned against him because of all that negative publicity, so he was just kind of laying low for the last few years of his life. So I'll be reporting on all that tonight. So looking forward to doing that show. But let's get back to business here on uh, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we have a, a commentary on, um, De- we're going to be starting in Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. So go ahead and read that, and then there's a commentary on it as well. That we'll, uh, We're going to do some f- uh, fairly copious commentaries in today's show because it's very important that we get the, these passages and understand their meaning. <clears throat> right, over to you. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 13. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, whereof he spake, it, spake unto thee, saying, 
let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. For Yahweh your God proves you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him and his and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to you away from Yahweh, spoken to turn you away from Yahweh your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which which Yahweh thy God commanded thee to walk in. False so prophets shalt, beware. <laughs> oh yeah. Right? Okay. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is thine own, thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely, of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shalt thou thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him. Thou shalt surely kill him. Mm. Thy hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. Well, how about Rabbi Khan and all those blood moon prophecies, none of which came true? <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. And all the Judeos who predicted that uh, 40 years after the formation of the Israeli state, the end of the world would be here, right? Okay. Of course, uh, the vast majority of so-called prophets in Christendom and, Ju- and Jewry are all fake. They're all false prophets, every last one of them. But, uh, yeah, Yahweh, Yahshua will take care of that when he returns. Back to you. Verse 10. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because Ooh. he has sought to thrust thee away from Yahweh thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. If thou shalt hear it say in one of thy cities, which Yahweh thy God has given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you, and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then shalt thou inquire, and make search, and ask diligently, and behold, if it be the truth, and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought among you. Thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. And thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof, and shall burn it with the with fire, shall burn with fire the city, and all the spoil thereof, every whit for Yahweh thy God, and it shall be in heap forever, it shall not be built again. And thou shalt cleave not of the cursed thing to thine hand, that Yahweh may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show thee mercy and have compassion upon thee and multiply thee as he has sworn unto thy fathers. When thou shalt hearken to the voice of Yahweh thy God to keep all his commandments which I command thee this day to do that which is right in the eyes of Yahweh thy God. 
So if uh, Christendom had heeded these words uh, throughout history, how many of these false prophets do you think would prosper? None. Not, not too many of them. Though, like those who say that homosexuality is good, right? Yeah. And that the Jews are God's chosen people, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but but these instructions, there's actually a, a couple of incidents later on in Scripture where I think the tribe of uh, Joseph, I think maybe it was Ephraim, who took the uh, these instructions a little too literally, where uh, a false prophet was. Uh, housed in in an Israelite city that was uh, a walled city. And uh, chasing after this guy, they were getting ready to attack the city and burn it, just like these instructions say. But uh, there was a woman inside the wall said, Hey, wait a minute. Don't don't destroy us. Uh, You're you're after this false prophet. Here, we'll we'll throw him over the wall. <laughs> you could don't destroy our city just because he happens to be here, right? Here, so they they they, they took this false prophet and threw him over the wall, and then the Ephraim has dealt with him accordingly. All right, okay. So overzealousness versus yeah, those were the days of overzealousness. Today we just have lackadaisical Christians. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've never quoted from the Esword. Uh, commentaries before, but in this case I will, because I just noticed it as we uh, started the show today. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 8. Cut out the plague spot is uh, what the commentator says here. How to exterminate sources of disease. And, uh, well, it's not about disease. It's it's about false doctrine. Although, there, you know, obviously disease could be part of it, but it's clearly talking about false prophets and false doctrine. How to exterminate sources of disease is the main question with the modern world, but the stamping out of possible sources of temptation must not less energetically be pursued by each religious soul. The prophet, the beloved associate, the community that endeavored to turn Israel aside from God might have no mercy shown. All right? Well, it should be will, (laughs) not might. There was no room for these liberal views, well said, in vogue today that smile on the greatest divergences of belief if only their advocates are sincere. Well, it doesn't matter how sincere they are, they're still wrong. For ourselves, the lesson is clear enough. We must dissociate ourselves from companionships, however affectionate, which exert a deleterious effect on our characters and draw us away from God. There is only one alternative, that we should overcome evil with good and lift them to our own ideals. Amen. Very well said. If that be impossible, our course is clear. Our eye must not pity, nor our hand spare and Jesus left no other alternative. Wow! Strong words from the uh, designer of Esword. And then he says, see Mark 9, 42-43. So I'll just go there right now. Uh, reading from Mark. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that uh, believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck 
and he were cast into the sea, verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off, it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, <laughs> into the fire that never shall be quenched, unquote. Okay, so much for that lo- loving, you know, that that pac- Pacific Jesus that the churches teach today. Back to you. Okay, do you want to start into this commentary on Deuteronomy 14, or do you want me to start actually start in Deuteronomy 14? Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, just read the first verse because that's what this commentary is about. Okay. Okay, you are the children of Yahweh your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes to the dead. Yeah, and there's other prohibitions against uh, having tattooed bodies, tattooed skin. So uh, it's very clear that uh, our our bodies are sacred and we're not to uh, do Canaanite rituals about ourselves. And I, of course, include injections as well. But yeah, so uh, what, what is this all about? You know, especially the part about baldness between your eyes. What in the world is that? Because you're, you know, between your eyes is already baldness. But uh, well, let's go through that commentary and see what they have to say. Okay, <clears throat> this is the uh, comes from BibleStudyTools.com. Deuteronomy: Ye are the children of Yahweh your God. Some of them were so special, so. Some of them were so by the special grace of adoption, and all of them by national adoption, which was the peculiar privilege of the people of Israel, and laid them under great obligation to honor and obey the Lord their God, who stood in the relation of a father to them, and they of children to him. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. Very good. The Targum of Jonathan paraphrases it, beloved children. So the apostle calls the saints the dear children of God, who therefore ought to be followers of him. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. And for a like reason, this relation is observed here, namely to quicken a regard to the exhortations of the Lord, his cautions, commands, laws, and ordinances, particularly to what follows. You shall not cut yourselves. For the dead, as appears from the next clause, as the heathens did, who not only tore their garments, but their flesh in several parts of their bo- in several parts of their bodies, in their mouths, cheeks, breasts, and used other extravagant signs of mourning, which the apostle cautions against. What First about uh, wearing a hair suit <laughs> like the monks of Catholicism used to do? Right. What is that? Uh, the what? Hair suit. Okay, the, the monks of uh, Catholicism used to put on a hair suit, which is really rough. Uh, yeah, I guess it's like wearing a, a pigskin inside out, <laughs> right? Oh, wow. So that it would uh, cause you uh, irritation while you're wearing it. And this they considered to be a form of uh, worshiping God, all right? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy stuff in Catholicism. Back to you. Where do they get this stuff? Yeah, I know. Yeah, where do they get it? They make it up. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay, um, so I'll read this again. You shall not yeah. cut yourselves for the dead, as appears from the next clause, as the heathens did, who not only tore their garments, but their flesh in several parts of their bodies, in their mouths, cheeks, breasts, and used other extravagant signs of mourning, which the apostle cautions against in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 
and were condemned by the heathens themselves. Though some think this refers to incisions the heathens made in their flesh to honor their to honor of their to the honor of their gods, cutting the names of them therein to whom they devoted themselves, or lashing their bodies at the worship of them, as the worshippers of Baal did when they called upon him in First Kings chapter eighteen verse twenty-eight, and so the Jerusalem Targum make not marks marks, that is here and there in many places, or bruises black and blue by stripping and beating themselves for strange worship, or at it in honor of their gods. But the former sense seems best to agree with what follows. See Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. Yeah, so those Catholic monks and anybody who thinks that they're practicing devotion by maiming themselves, <laughs> they're practicing Baal worship, whether they realize it or not. Back to you nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead by shaving the forepart of their head or their eyebrows or both, which used to be done in lamentations for the dead. See Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 6 and verse 7. If this could be thought to have any respect to rites and ceremonies used in the worship of dead and lifeless idols, the customs of the Egyptians might be referred to who are said to shave their heads and their eyebrows in their sacred rites to Isis. Okay, so this is a ritual that uh, actually goes back to the worship of Isis, and therefore it's forbidden, okay? So, but uh, uh, some say that uh, they shaved the forepart of their, you know, hair as well, because your, you know, the, the front of your face is, except for the eyebrows, is usually hairless, all right? So, but uh, Im- imitation of pagan rituals is what this is about so we're we're forbidden to do that all right back to you okay back to deuteronomy verse 2 chapter 14 for thou art an holy people unto yahweh thy god and yahweh has chosen thee to be a peculiar people people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth thou shalt not eat any abominable thing these are the beasts which ye shall eat the ox the sheep and the goat, the hart and the roebuck, and the fallow deer, and the wild goat, and the pygarg, and the wild ox, and the cami. Hold on, pygarg, the leaper, the leaper. So it's got another form of deer, antelope. Deer, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Verse six, and every beast that parteth the hoof and cleaveth the, the cleft into two claws and cheweth the cud among the beasts. That you shall eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat of them that chew the cud, or any, or of them that divide the cloven hoof, as the camel and the hare and the coney, for they chew the cud but divide not the hoof. Therefore, they are unclean unto you. Coney is a rabbit, a type of rabbit. Okay. And the swine, because it divides the hoof, yet chews not the cud, it is unclean unto you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. These you shall eat of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales shall you eat. And whosoever and whatsoever has not fins and scales, you may not eat. It is unclean unto you. Of all clean birds you shall eat. But these are they of which you shall not eat. The eagle and the ossifrage and the osprey and the gled, and the kite, and the vulture after his kind. 
and every raven after his kind, and the owl and the nighthawk and the cuckow and the hawk after his kind, the little owl and the great owl and the swan, and the pelican and the gear eagle and the cormorant and the stork and the heron after her kind, and the, and the lapwing and the bat. And every creeping thing that flies is unclean unto you. They shall not be eaten. But of all clean fowls you may eat. So essentially all the, the birds that are, uh, you know, what do you call it, clean up, you know, <laughs> that, that eat dead stuff, right? Scavengers. You're right, scavengers. Thank you. Right. So, so we avoid uh, eating scavenger birds. So, but even chickens will just about eat anything, <laughs> So, yeah. But you can at least feed them properly, all right? Okay, mm-hmm. back to you. Verse 21. You shall not eat of anything that dies of itself. You shall give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it. Or <laughs> they may, <laughs> thou right. mayest sell it unto an alien. All right. Thou art a holy people unto Yahweh thy God. Thou shalt not okay. see the kid in his mother's milk. Okay, so uh, we can sell it to blacks and uh, Latinos and Orientals, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they can eat that stuff, but we're forbidden to eat that stuff. All right, and then see the uh, uh, the kid in its mother's milk. That is basically boil it uh, in uh, in the mother's milk of its own species. Okay, for, there's there's got to be a good scientific reason for it, but it's not explained here. Okay. But that's not the same. Uh, the uh, the Jews have distorted this and uh, say you can't eat a uh, hamburger, a cheeseburger. You can't eat a cheeseburger. This says nothing about cheeseburgers. <laughs> Where did right. they get that from? They just made it up, <laughs> just like the Catholics do, right? <laughs> okay. Maybe the rabbis uh, in the days when they made this rule, they didn't have, they didn't produce any cheese, <laughs> so they couldn't sell their own stuff, right? So anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a big difference between this and eating a cheeseburger. Okay. All right. All right. Tithes. Verse twenty-two. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field brings forth year by year. And you shall eat before Yahweh your God in the place which He shall choose to place His name there. The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thy oil. And the firstlings of thy herds and of your flocks, you may learn that you may learn to fear Yahweh thy God always. And if the way be too long for you, so that you thou shalt thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which Yahweh thy God shall choose to set his name there, when Yahweh thy God has blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money and bind up the money in thine hand and shall go unto the place which Yahweh thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lustest after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before Yahweh thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. And the Levite that is within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he has no part nor inheritance with thee. At the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of increase in the increase the same year, and shall lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he has no part or inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come, and shall eat and be satisfied. 
that Yahweh thy God may bless thee in all the work of thy hand which thou doest. End of chapter 14. Okay. Chapter 15, the sabbatical year. And I think we have an article on that as well. Yeah, yeah, because this is a complex subject. And so I was scouring the internet to find an author who really deals with this carefully. It's very difficult because obviously this entire subject is totally ignored by Christendom. Okay, except for those of us in Christian identity. So uh, we need to understand, number one, the word slave as used in scripture never means a person who is bound to you for life. This is with very, very rare exceptions, and that's always voluntary on the part of the so-called slave. But it always means indentured servant, a person who is bound to you temporarily because that person either owes you money or did you wrong, etc., etc. There's always a good reason for a person being an indentured service. There is no such thing as chattel slavery in Scripture. Okay, so let's uh, uh, consider this, and I'll share this article with the people in the chat room. Over to you. And there's actually no such thing as a prison system in Scripture That's also, yes, absolutely correct. uh, You either, if you're guilty of theft, you pay back by restitution. If you're guilty of a capital crime, you're put to death. Yeah, can you can you imagine how many of uh, our our white prisoners would be living in sanctuary cities, not in prisons? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it would be much better life for them, and they might actually reform themselves (laughs) in Mm -hmm. such a situation, right? Okay. I mean, think of all the millions of dollars we spend on a prison system, and it doesn't do any good. Yeah. Well, we pay twice. First, we get victimized by these people, yeah. and then we have to support them in prison. <laughs> yeah. We gotta feed them. We gotta give them uh, clothing. We gotta provide health care for them. It's, yeah, and pay all those guards. And pay the guards. Yeah, right. it's and the cr- warden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and they're all anti-white. Every last yeah. one of them. Yeah, it is not biblical at all. The That's right. System. Okay. Chapter 15 of Deuteronomy. At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lends aught unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother because it is called Yahweh's release. We certainly don't practice this one. Yeah, right, yeah. Or of, of a foreigner, thou mayest exact it again. But that which is thine with thy brother, thine hand shall release. Save when there shall be no poor among you. For Yahweh shall greatly bless thee in the land which Yahweh thy God gives thee for an inheritance to possess it. Only if thou carefully hearken unto the voice of Yahweh thy God, to observe to do all these commandments which I command thee this day. For Yahweh thy God blesses thee as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations that thou shalt not borrow. And thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of the, thy gates in thy land which Yahweh thy God gives thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of the release, is at hand. 
and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother. And thou givest him not, and he cry unto Yahweh against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Okay, so and this is true of indentured servants even here in America. Uh, there was a lot of impressment going on by the British who would basically capture Americans and turn them into slaves aboard their boats, right? And then uh, a lot of people uh, from Europe, especially England, would come to America as indentured servants, and but they had a limited time. There was always an end time for that. But their owners would, as the end time came around, they would uh, whip them, they would make them work even harder to get the most out of them before they had to release them. Okay, so that's what's going on here. So go ahead and read from that article. On a okay. Detail, okay, because uh, this gets into an explanation. Uh, which verse were you at here? Verse 10? I was on uh, verse 10. Verse 10. So, so yeah. we'll pick up with verse 10 again after we discuss this article. Okay, back to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. This article is entitled The Sabbath Year and the Year of Jubilee, Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25 ordains a Sabbath year, one in every seven. That's in chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. And a jubilee year, one in every 50, which is found in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 8 through 17, to sanctify Israel's internal economy. In the Sabbath year, each field was to lie fallow, which appears to be a sound agricultural practice. The year of jubilee was much more radical. Every 50th year, all leased or mortgaged lands were to be returned to their original owners, and all slaves and bonded laborers were to be freed. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. Okay, that's a total, absolute release of everybody from bondage. Now, Mm -hmm. nobody practiced this. In fact, even the Israelites in biblical times rarely practiced this. Back to you. Heck, we're in bondage 30 years when we buy a house, right? That's right. This naturally posed difficulties in banking and land transactions. Oh, wait a minute. There was no banking in, in, uh, in the Bible. The Israelites never practiced banking. Mm-mm. So, yeah, that's <laughs> where did you get that from? Back to you. Yeah. <laughs> and special provisions were designed to ameliorate them. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 15 and 16, which we will explore in a moment. The underlying intent is the same as seen in the law of gleaning. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, to ensure that everyone had access to the means of production, whether the family farm or simply the fruits of their own labor. It is not fully known whether Israel actually observed the Jubilee year or the anti-slavery provisions associated with it. Yeah, now here he uses the word slavery, okay, which is uh, people automatically assume it's chattel slavery. No, there's no such thing as chattel slavery in the Bible. Okay. I think there's a verse too that says um, you're not to w- rule with rigor, right? Which sure, is, you know, confirms that it's indentured servants. You know, yeah. we're not to treat our own people like that, right? And we're not even supposed to treat strangers living within our borders like that either. Okay, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, if they are uh, unclean people, <laughs> right? Uh, they're not to engage in any of our rituals either, so, and many of them would ha- are we're ordered to kill them if they try. Okay, so uh, the separateness of the people of Israel is 
uh, you know, confirmed time and time again in Scripture, yet uh, Christendom today totally ignores these uh, these laws. Okay, back to you. The whole Bible is about sex. That's right. It's about segregation. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Regardless, the sheer detail of Leviticus 25 strongly suggests that we treat the laws as something that Israel either did or should have implemented. Rather than see the Jubilee year as a utopian literary fiction, it seems better to believe that its widespread neglect occurred not because the Jubilee was unfeasible, but because the wealthy were unwilling to accept the social and economic implications that would have been costly and disruptive to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, let me just interject here. Uh, uh, Brother Aber has a very important point. Uh, The year of Jubilee is actually the 49th year not the 50th year, and it starts at the Day of Atonement. It's within the 50 years, and that that year of Jubilee does does not count as a separate year, okay? It's contained within uh, the first year of the next cycle, which is 49 years, not 50 years. Okay, back to you. Protection for the destitute. After Israel conquered Canaan, The land was assigned to Israel's clans and families as described in Numbers 26 and Joshua, uh, um, chapters 15 through 22. This land was never to be sold in perpetuity, for it belonged to the Lord, not the people. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 23 and 24. The effect of the Jubilee was to prevent any family from becoming permanently landless through sale, mortgage, or permanent lease of its assigned land. In essence, any sale of land was really a term lease that could last no longer than the next year of Jubilee. Very good. Chapter yeah. 25. So who practiced Do the Jews practice this? Absolutely not. <laughs> right. They'll sell anything, including their own mother. Anything for money. Yeah. Yep. This provided a means for the destitute to raise money by leasing the land without depriving the family's future generations of the means of production. The rules of Leviticus 25 are not easy to figure out, and Milgram makes good sense of them as he defines three progressive stages of destitution. Okay. Like I said, it's very hard to find a a really good article on this because even this author, he misquotes scripture several times already, right? Yeah. Yeah. The first stage is depicted in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 25 through 28. A person could simply become poor. The presumed scenario is that of a farmer who borrowed money to buy seed but did not harvest enough to repay the loan. He therefore must sell some of the land to a buyer in order to cover the debt and buy seed for the next planting. If there was a person who belonged to the farmer's clan who wished to act as a redeemer, He could pay the buyer according to the number of remaining annual crops until the jubilee year when it reverted to the farmer. Until that time, the land belonged to the Redeemer, who allowed the farmer to work it. Yes, and this goes along with what we read in an earlier chapter where Moses told the Israelites, wherever your foot uh, plants itself, that land belongs to you. It's part of the dominion mandate in Genesis chapter 1. We're supposed to take possession of this planet, right? And we're not supposed to give it up. Back to you. The second case. The second stage was more serious. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35 through 38. 
Assuming that the land was not redeemed and the farmer again fell into debt from which he could not recover, he would forfeit all of his land to the creditor. In this case, the creditor must lend the farmer the funds necessary to continue working as a tenant farmer on his own land, but must not charge him interest. Oh, what? <laughs> Can't charge him interest? That's right. The farmer would amortize this loan with the profit made from the crops, perhaps eliminating the debt. If so, the farmer would regain his land. If the land was not fully repaid before the jubilee, then at that time the land would revert back to the farmer or his heirs. Okay, so there's no way the Israelite is to give up that land. It's supposed to be in our possession permanently. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what the Jubilee and the land Sabbaths, the seven-year Sabbaths, are all about. Okay? Let's continue. This is very good. Third stage was a more serious still. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 39 through 43. Assuming that the farmer in the previous stage could neither pay on the loan or even support himself and his family, he would become temporarily bound to the household of the creditor. As a bound laborer, he would work for wages, which were entirely for the reduction of the debt. At the year of Jubilee, he would regain his land and his freedom. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 40, verse 41. Throughout these years, the creditor must not work him as a slave, sell him as a slave, or rule over him harshly. Chapter 25, verses 42 and 43. The creditor must fear God by accepting the fact that all of God's people are God's slaves. S servants, yes. <laughs> Not slaves. Servants. Yes. Yeah. Whom he graciously brought out from Egypt. No one else can own them because God already does. Very good. Okay. The, Please continue. The point of these rules is that Israelites were never to become slaves to other Israelites. It was conceivable, though that impoverished Israelites might sell themselves as slaves to wealthy resident aliens living in the land. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 47 through 55. Even if this happened, the sale must not be permanent. People who sold themselves must retain the right to buy themselves out of slavery if they prospered. If not, a near relative could intervene as a redeemer who would pay the foreigner according to the number of years left until the jubilee when the impoverished Israelites were to be released. During that time, they were not to be treated harshly, but regarded as hired workers. Well, there's a jubilee coming. It's called the Judgment Day, <laughs> right? Because yeah. the Jews will never let us out of debt. What does the year of jubilee mean for today? The year of jubilee operated within the context of Israel's kinship system for the protection of the clan's inalienable right to work their ancestral land which they understood to be owned by God and to be enjoyed by them as a benefit of their relationship with him. These social and economic conditions no longer exist. And from a biblical point of view, God no longer administers redemption through a single political state. We must therefore view the Jubilee from our current vantage point. A wide variety of perspectives exist about the proper application, if any, of the Jubilee to today's societies. To take one example that engages seriously with contemporary realities, Christopher Wright has written extensively on the Christian appropriation of Old Testament laws. He identifies principles implicit in these ancient laws in order to grasp their ethical implications for today. 
His treatment of the Jubilee year thus considers three basic angles, the theological, the social, and the economic. Theologically, the Jubilee affirms that the Lord is not only the God who owns Israel's land, he is sovereign over all time and nature. His act of redeeming his people from Egypt committed him to provide for them on every level because they were his own. Therefore, Israel's observance of the Sabbath day and the year the Jubilee of the Jubilee was a function of obedience and trust. In practical terms, the Jubilee year embodies the trust of all Israelites embodies the trust all Israelites could have that God would provide for their immediate needs and for the future of their families. At the same time, it calls on the rich to trust that treating creditors compassionately will still yield an adequate return. Okay, well, this is why uh, the, the Israelites are the world's biggest farming community, right? Because we are to work his land, okay? We are his tenants, and therefore, we are not to sell our land to non-Israelites, okay? And we're always supposed to retain some land within our family, at the very least. Okay, back to you. So we don't need all these mortgage brokers? Oh, yeah, right. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Looking at the social angle, the smallest unit of Israel's kinship structure was the household that would have included three to four generations. The Jubilee provided a socioeconomic solution to keep the family whole, even in the face of economic calamity. Family debt was a reality in ancient times as it is today, and its effects include a frightening list of social ills. The Jubilee sought to check these negative social consequences by limiting their durations so that future generations would not have to bear the burden of their distant ancestors. Now, it's very interesting that this multi-generational household was still in existence in the 20th century. It's yeah, in world, the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, it's World Wars One and Two, and in modern the modern world where children depart from their the households of their parents and uh, move out of Chicago and live in California, for example, and you only see them once or twice the rest of your life, <laughs> or maybe Christmas, right? So the breakup of our families is by design. It's by Jewish mm-hmm. design, okay? That's the reality. Well, on one level, you get to sell more refrigerators and yeah, washing machines right, and tires. Right. And on and, another level, yeah. you, know, you split up the family. Right, uh, and women uh, have to go into the workforce where they become taxpayers too. And they get twice exactly. as much of your wealth, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. They're slick. They know yeah. how to get no, it. Oh, slick, slick as a Rockefeller. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the economic angle reveals the two principles that we can apply today. First, God desires just distribution of the earth's resources. According to God's plan, the land of Canaan was assigned equitably among the people. The Jubilee was not about redistribution, but restoration. According to Wright, the Jubilee thus stands as a critique not only of massive private accumulation of land and related wealth, but also of large-scale forms of collectivism or nationalization that destroy any meaningful sense of personal or family ownership. Wow, well said. Man, this this article is way better than I even thought. Yeah. (laughs) Second, family units must have the opportunity and resources to provide for themselves. In most modern societies, people cannot be sold into slavery to pay debts. 
bankruptcy laws provide relief to those burdens with unpayable debt, those burdened with unpayable debts. And descendants are not liable for ancestors' debts. No. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people wind up inheriting the, the debts of their family members. Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, it's hidden in their their methods and practices. But by and large, that is true. The children are not. Uh, you know, but you know, the the parents have to sell the house in order to prevent that from happening, right? No, no parent wants to burden his children with all that kind of debt. You know, and the, the mortgage companies they figured out a way of tra- transferring this debt to just about everybody in the family. Yeah, back to you. The basic property needed for survival may be protected from seizure. Nonetheless, Leviticus 25 seems to offer a broader foundation than contemporary bankruptcy laws. It is founded not on merely protecting personal liberty and a bit of property for destitute people, but on ensuring that everyone has access to the means of making a living and escaping multi-generational poverty. Amen. As the cleaning laws in Leviticus show... The solution is neither handouts nor mass appropriation of property, but social values and structures that give every person an opportunity to, to work productively. Have modern societies actually surpassed ancient Israel in this regard? No. What about the millions of people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about the millions of people enslaved or in bonded labor today in situations where anti-slavery laws are not adequately enforced? What would it take for Christians to be capable of offering real solutions? All good questions. Yeah, so we're not going to, there's a bigger article. We won't go into it any further. It's very interesting, however, that uh, in my 50 years living in Chicago, I saw plenty of occasions where white couples who had moved to Chicago from Wisconsin went bankrupt and then had to move back to the family farm in Wisconsin, right? So it's always good to have that land out in the country where you can provide for yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay? Big lesson here. All right, let's get back. Very good article. Very good yeah, article. Yeah, except for where the guy says banking. <laughs> the Israelites <laughs> did not practice any form of banking ever. There were private loans, right? And we're forbidden to charge interest to each other. The only permissible uh, exception was you could charge interest of a non-Israelite. Okay, that's it. All right, back to you. Okay, we had left off in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. And I'll just go back to uh, verse, read verse 9 again. It says, uh, Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, the seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him naught, and he cry unto Yahweh against thee, and it be a sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that is for this thing Yahweh thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand into. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. So uh, that's a pretty clear statement. The, the poor shall never cease out of the land. Why? Well, some people are just plain old lazy, <laughs> right? 
and, and they don't give a, a, a rat's behind uh, whether they have property or not. So let, let them, you know, and again, in Chicago, I mean, there were derelicts everywhere. You know, these camp cities under the viaducts uh, are a, a common sight. Why? Well, a lot of them are drug addicts, alcoholics, etc., who don't care that they don't have any idea of having a stable life. All they want is their next fix, right? So what are we supposed to do with these people? Well, it would be nice if uh, we could, you know, they try to have, uh, you know, the Christian way of doing it in the past before the welfare state was having uh, shelters in church, in church basements, okay, where they could at least get food and a, and a bath and blah, 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 right? But uh, how can you help somebody who refuses to be helped? Yeah. Okay? Communism is not the answer, folks. No. <laughs> okay? Because that taxes the prosperous to, to, you know, forcibly taxes the prosperous to so supposedly help the lazy and the incontinent. Back to you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually stealing. Yes, those, right. It's theft. Giving to those who are less productive. Amen. Amen. Verse 12, and if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish, furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress of that wherewith Yahweh thy God has blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou was a bondsman in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh thy God redeemed thee. Therefore, I command thee this thing today. So how and much better is this than the present prison system? Much better. Oh, infinitely better. Much better. Yeah. Okay, how did this, how did this happen? Uh, some Jew invented this prison system. There's no doubt about it. Okay. Really, I would like to know that. that was yeah. Cool. How it all got started. Yeah, exactly. Putting people in, putting people in cages and thinking. <laughs> right, right. Well, it had to start out out west, right? The the, the famous county jail, right? Oh, yeah. Where, where that began. But how it became a government institution like it is today, that would be an interesting book. I'm sure there's a book on that or, or a story about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Verse 16. And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loves thee and thine house, because he is well with thee, then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. Okay, so this is the only instance of lifetime servitude, and it's voluntary on the mm-hmm. part of the so-called slave, the servant, okay? It's the only instance. All the rest of the time, servants will must be let go every seventh year and then f- totally free at the Jubilee. That's biblical servitude. And there is no other kind of servitude that we're supposed to practice. Okay, back to you. Verse 18, It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee. Oh no! I, I I got all this labor that I have benefit, you know. But no, he's paying off a debt, right? Mm-hmm. Now he needs to go back and see his family, or it could be a she, but more often it was a he, to see the see the family, and bond with them once again. 
<laughs> and uh, etc cetera, etc cetera, and the family land that he's trying to preserve right? that's what the, the the author of that article is absolutely right it's not about punishment it's about restoration mm-hmm. okay what about uh these slaves who try to run away i think the book of philemon covers that doesn't it yeah, touches yeah. on that, but I mean, I wonder what the punishment was for if you had a slave uh, or an indentured servant, I should say, who tried to escape, and what the punishment would be for that. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we used to have sanctuary cities where such a person could work out the details of his or her life, right? But uh, if if they choose to flee and never come back, you know, then they cut themselves off from from the people of Israel. From society. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay, verse 18. It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away from away free from thee, for he has been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years. And Yahweh thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. All the firstling males that come of thy herd and of thy flock, thou shalt sanctify unto Yahweh thy God. Thou shalt do no work with the firstling of thy bullock, nor shear the firstling of thy sheep. Thou shalt eat it before Yahweh thy God, year by year, in the place which Yahweh shall choose, thou and thy household. And if there be any blemish therein, as if it be lame or blind, or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice it unto Yahweh thy God. Okay, they can eat it, they can eat it, but they can't use it as a sacrifice. All this is leading, obviously, to the sacrifice of Yahshua, who was perfect in his DNA, had no blemishes on his body, etc., etc. That's why all of these sacrificial animals must be perfect. All right, back to you. Verse 22. Thou shalt eat it within thy gates. The unclean and the clean person shall eat it alike, as the roebuck and as the heart. Only thou shalt not eat the blood thereof. Thou shalt pour it upon the ground as water. Okay. Yeah, right. So, yeah, we're supposed to drain the blood of any sacrificial animal or any animals that we kill for meat. Okay. So, it says here, the unclean and the clean person, they insert the words person, shall eat it alike. And I think this is a reference, you know, maybe to people with, uh, what's the disease? I always draw a blank on that. Not scurvy. Leprosy. leprosy, yeah. So obviously lepers have to eat, right? Okay. Right. And other people who have some sort of disease that uh, considers them unclean. So they're able to eat the the flesh of imperfect animals or blemished animals. But it's, we shouldn't, you know. Uh, so the the but the perfect animals are to be used for sacrifice okay so that's that's the one distinction that we make uh, the 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 animals that are not perfect that can't represent yashua or so therefore they're not offered as sacrifice okay we have a few and, minutes left maybe we can uh just delve into the next chapter i was going to say that was uh Cain's uh right sin, was he didn't offer the best that's correct yeah yeah, and uh, Yahweh repeats over and over again, the firstlings of your flock are mine, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, not that, uh, well, they, they can be offered as sacrifice, but then the Levitical priests would able to uh, eat those, 
okay, because that's part of their payment, right? But uh, the priesthood would also belong to him. And so obviously our modern Christendom does not have this reverence for what is Yahweh's, <laughs> okay? The, we have totally lost this, all right? But uh, in some sense, however, saying grace compensates for it because when we say grace before our meals, we are thanking Yahweh for as the provider, as the providence, as our founding fathers used to refer to him, the, the great provider of the people of Israel. Okay, so at least we preserve that saying grace is the one saving grace that we have that we're supposed to thank Yahweh for all providence. Okay, all right, so maybe let's do the next one is Passover. As we were saying, all of this leads to the sacrifice of Yahshua in his own body for our sins. So, again, a very important subject. We have uh, less than two minutes left, but go ahead, let's do a couple of verses here. Okay, chapter 16. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover unto Yahweh thy God. For in the month of Abib did Yahweh thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto Yahweh thy God of the flock and the herd in the place which Yahweh shall choose to place his name there. Okay, and this uh, is coming right up. It's going to be around April 3rd, it is uh, every year, and uh, Brother Aber has produced this year's feast day calendar. That'll be available, and uh, you know, we're, we're going to put a link on the main page of Eurofolk Radio so you can purchase a copy of that calendar. Again, it's going to be uh, try to, a minimal donation of $20 per copy, and... Uh, you know, you can uh, order those from, I'll just go go real quick here, from ANP, it's uh, 900 Commerce Place, uh, Box 1016, Forsyth, Illinois, 62535. And we'll put a link on the main page so you can order your copy. And it's uh, the, the theme of this year's calendar is a re- recounting, the, recounting the scamdemic. Right, and how our people are being enslaved by fear. A very well done calendar. Good work, Brother Abear. And, uh, you know, it'd be a, a, a treasure to hang on your walls to follow the feast days of the coming year. Back to you. Okay. Actually, we're, yeah, we're actually. Just under a minute left. You want me to yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's uh, pick this up next week. And it's okay. time for the outro music. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Enjoy Thanks, it. brother. Thank Take you. care. Me too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.